Hi folks, I'm Adam Skandarani and you are listening to the Brilliant Dog Pod, where we're talking all things dog training. The only rules, it's got to be effective, it's got to be fair, and it's got to be fun. Hey, Ash, why don't you introduce yourself and share your pronouns with us? Uh, my name's Ash. I go by she, her, or they, them pronouns. Either or is fine with me. Um, I'm a dog trainer and a goofy little guy. Uh, <laughs> and Chaos gremlin. That is chaos how I describe gremlin. you. Yeah. Chaos gremlin. Yeah. I am a Jack Russell Terrier come to life in human form. Yes. That's exactly who you are. Yeah. Okay, um, so Ash is here today to talk about strategic reinforcement, and I'm very excited to have Ash on the podcast because they are an incredibly intelligent human being, and they know how to really be smart with how they use their reinforcement to help reactive dogs and other dogs and teenage dogs through their teenage bullshit. So I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about that. So why don't we just go ahead and why don't why don't we start with like like some definitions of what reinforcement is. Yeah, so uh, kind of the reason I wanted to talk about strategic reinforcement is because I think we get stuck a lot in this really narrow view of positive reinforcement. And if I think about like early on in my training career when I was like, okay, I'm a positive reinforcement trainer, I use positive reinforcement. I actually ended up using negative reinforcement a lot because I didn't know how to use positive reinforcement strategically, right? Like if I think about how I used to teach loose leash walking, it was like 50-50 positive and negative reinforcement because I was just trying to, okay, well, I want the dog to walk beside me. So I'm going to reward the dog for walking beside me. And I'm going to use what I thought at the time constituted as like negative punishment by stopping or walking backwards or not allowing the dog to move forward on the leash, which now thinking about it, I'm like, I was just using leash pressure. Like I was using aversive leash pressure to move them back. And it's because I wasn't really thinking about like, how can I use my reinforcement better, right? It was just, well, I'm gonna use the highest value food that I can use to get the dog to do the thing that I want them to do without really thinking about, like you said, I most of the dogs I work with are adolescents that are like, their issue is not necessarily, I don't know how to walk on a leash. It's I'm very excited to be here I'm very excited to be alive. And so I want to go where I'm going quickly and I want to like move my body a lot. So learning how to use that reinforcement more strategically. So like, yeah, I'm still using positive reinforcement of like rewarding what I want, but I'm also using it. So it's working double time to also calm you down. Right. So let me pause us right here for a second and just talk for those who have never joined a dog training podcast before and talk about what positive and negative reinforcement is. So reinforcement is the is when you add a stimulus to the dog or take it away. Um, it is a stimulus that either... Um, reinforces behavior as in it will make behavior happen again or it will reduce behavior stop behavior from happening again so positive reinforcement is when we add a stimulus to the dog to make reinforcement happen to make behavior happen more often and then negative reinforcement is when we remove a stimulus to make behavior happen again and um yeah leash pressure is 
leash pressure. <laughs> so, yeah. like, at the end of the day, it doesn't yeah, really it doesn't matter, matter what quadrant we were in. It was, still, it was still leash pressure. Yeah. 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 And it's, yeah. And it's not super effective, I think. Like, I, no. I guess it is effective. It'll work in the long run. But it... I, the way that I train is I really like to get to a point where it's no longer training in a traditional sense, right? Like when I walk with Agreed. my dogs, I don't want to be using food forever to just get them to walk nicely. I still use food. I pay check-ins. Like I'm always going to have food on me. Um, but what I want is that the dog is able to like walk and sniff and get those functional reinforcers but still without yanking me down the street and rather than it being something where they learn they can't yank me down the street i want them to be in the right mindset of sniffing in kind of a zigzag pattern because i can keep up with that really easily right so instead of and i still do teach heel and stuff like that for mostly for competition and for fun yeah uh, but when I'm working on this, when I'm using like a more strategic reinforcement strategy, I'm looking to train the dog or to teach the dog a functional behavior. So I, when I'm teaching loose leash walking, typically reinforce on the ground because my goal is eventually it's just the functional reinforcer of your sniffing. Exactly. And I'm also and that's around how I teach at the same it. time. Yeah, that's exactly how I teach loose leash walking. I teach it by tossing treats on the ground in my vicinity. Um, oftentimes I, I throw the treats behind me because if I want them in my vicinity, I know the arousal and the excitement of the walk itself is going to push them forward and ahead of me, which is, you know, why dogs pull on leash anyway. They're excited and they have four legs and walk faster than us. That's really all there is to it. They want to get to the thing. <laughs> We're so um, or slow. just move forward, right? We're so slow yeah. compared to dogs. And so I found that if I throw the treats behind me a little bit of ways, they tend to kind of end up somewhere near me because they don't want to blow past me because the treats are behind them and the sniffs are around me as well once I move off of food. That's literally exactly how I teach it. So I do, with my clients, I coach so easy. Um, scatter, catch, and walk. So it's like... You scatter your food, you walk to the end of the leash, and I have my clients walk on between an eight and a 12 foot leash. I prefer a 12 yeah. foot leash, but if they're really nervous about it, then we'll go a little bit shorter because some people are like, I don't have control. I don't have control. I can't do dog. it. Um, but if I can get a 12 foot leash and have them comfortable with that, I have them drop a scatter while their dog is eating it. You walk to the end of the leash, you catch your dog as they're coming up. So you've already got your handful of food and drop it right next to you and keep walking. And it's a really nice way to walk. I so that. I like it because it's immediate, right? Yes. It's not, oh, I'm going to train my dog to walk nicely. And our walks are going to be miserable until I do that. It is, you can have a really nice walk this way. Of you just drop and walk and walk and you're enjoying your 12 feet <laughs> and then love drop and then walk and walk and you're enjoying your 12 feet until your dog starts to get tired and then they're walking a little bit nicer anyways and you can kind of let them walk beside you for a little bit or throw food off to the side or whatever it is that you want to do how you build that duration in between reinforcement yep i yep. love it it's such a natural way for them to learn and such a natural way once we get over our egos it's such a natural way for us to teach as well yeah nice 
I love that. And I love using strategic reinforcement like that to help get the dog to start sniffing more because isn't that what we want our dogs to do on their walks is to sniff and exactly. enjoy the environment. Just don't pull us over while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Just wait a little bit <laughs> until I just, get like, there and then down. you can go half sniff a it. Just, yeah. just half a step. Just half a step slower, please. Yeah. And I have... Just because I, I have am like a cook. A- just because I'm a chaos gremlin doesn't mean you have to be a chaos gremlin. Right. We can be chaotic <laughs> together sometimes. But not <laughs> but when now, we're walking on a leash down the now street. Now is not the time. Yeah. Sometimes we gotta be chill. And then That's we'll get to where we're going and we can be chaotic over there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Me and Pretzel are very chaotic together uh, most of the time. <laughs> me and Flash. Totally. Yeah. Um, so what what other types of strategic reinforcement do you like to use to train dogs to do everyday things? What kind of things do you use? Yeah, so I actually have a framework that I kind of use for everything, and I call it clockwork. Um, and it's basically a fancy way to do find it that you can really teach just about anything you want. And it's thinking of yourself. So me, I am the center of the clock, right? And there are like four main points that I can deliver my find it to. So there's 12 o'clock and then there's three o'clock, nine o'clock, and then six o'clock behind me. And so for off-leash training, I use clockwork to teach the dog to kind of bungee back to me, right? And I use that in relation to distractions so that, so say that I have, um, I used to hike right next to a farm that had horses and these cute little pygmy goats and a bunch of chickens and a livestock guardian dog. And of course I have an English shepherd who's like, need to herd the horses, need to fight the guardian dog, <laughs> need to maybe eat one of the chickens. And that I want to interact with in really inappropriate ways that are going to get me shot, maybe. <laughs> so the owners of that farm were really nice. They wouldn't have shot my dog. But it would have been a bad situation if he got over yeah. there. Um, so when I was working on clockwork, it is if I'm walking beside it and they are at 3 o'clock, well, I can think of it like uh, easy, medium, and hard mode. Yeah. So easy mode is going to be throwing away. So if the the farm, the distractions at three o'clock, I'm going to start with. Oh, no, we froze. Um, I'm back. That was me. That's okay. Um, Shit happens sometimes. Also, you're allowed to swear on my podcast. Um, (laughs) So it froze right when you were talking about easy mode, medium and hard mode. And so you were saying that easy mode is when you throw it away from the distraction. Yep. Yep. Away from the distraction. And then my medium mode is going to be parallel to the distraction in both directions. And then my hard mode is, and what my goal always is, is I can throw it towards the distraction so that my dog can go see the distraction take that in an appropriate way because he's able to go up he has the framework of i go and i get the treat and then he can lift his head up and he can look at it and then turn around and come back to me and we do that until he no longer cares about that distraction or he at least no longer is giving them a ton of attention right he's but i'm not saying you cannot interact with this thing 
as in you cannot intake information about it, you're, you're not allowed to say hi um, in this case at least. But yeah. you can go over there and see it, but I want you to do it for three seconds and come back to me. And so I can use that framework and I use it for everything. Reactive dogs, we're gonna do it with your triggers. Uh, eventually, can you go up, intake that information about the trigger and come back to me? Dogs that are excited to see people and wanna jump on, up on guests, we're gonna do the same thing with the guests. Can you go away from the guests, come back to me, go away from the guests, come back to me? Can you do it parallel to them? Now can you go up and say hi and come back to me? And creating this kind of like bounce back framework for the dog that works in every direction and at every level of distraction. And it becomes a pattern that the dog picks up really, really quickly, even in new environments I and really with new like things. That. I really like that. It sounds very similar, um, but a little bit more advanced to the give me a break pattern game from Leslie McDevitt's Control Unleashed program. And my mm. favorite thing about that is, are you familiar with the pattern game? I'm not familiar with that one, no. Um, so the way Leslie starts it is you start with a chair and that's really somewhere for you to anchor yourself and return yourself to. And so you start out with you toss a cookie on the ground and you turn away from your dog and walk to the chair, turn and sit. And then you wait for your dog to come back to you. You start with this, obviously, in like when you're first teaching it in a very small, secure ring or a room or somewhere where they can't really get themselves into a lot of trouble. And then um, when they come back to you and offer you a default behavior, and for me, that's a stand with eye contact, um, you would get up and go and put a treat somewhere else and, and then rip, wash, rinse, repeat. And once they're coming back to you on the regular, um, for me, I like to have twice in a row or three times in a row, depending on if I feel like one of those was a fluke. Um, um, that's just for me. That's not how Leslie teaches it. That's just my decision. And then when they come back to me, I start adding in work. So I start getting up and I move with them away from the chair and I'll ask for like a hand touch. And if they give me that, I will throw the cookie and go back to the chair. So it's very similar to that. And eventually there's a moving give me a break game where you're just moving around and the dog has to catch up with you. And mm -hmm. you can take this everywhere. Once they understand that framework, you can take this everywhere. And it's one of the games I actually use to help Flash feel better about his about his big um, icky feelings about the city and I did um, a webinar on that for one of the Control Unleashed conferences which was see you and the city um, play on sex on the city and um, <laughs> that was all Leslie came up with that title and she made me use it so like she's the genius there um, yeah. so it's such a great framework and your um, clockwork framework sounds very similar to that but it's sounds like it's a lot more strategic in that you it's intuitive it's intuitive for mm -hmm. you and I really like that that's really cool yeah it's nice because uh, I was struggling to get across I I focus a lot on food skills in my training that's because so I fell into this very odd niche of where for a while there, I was only working with dogs who didn't want to eat food. And it just happened. And then I started talking about it. And then were people like, my dog, my dog, my dog. And then of course they hired me. And then it was like, cool, I have so many dogs that won't take reinforcement. This is fun. <laughs> this isn't stressful at all. No, not even a little bit. No, <laughs> a little bit. what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. 
I have like only probably the most difficult problem for a positive reinforcement trainer to deal with. Of all Shoot of me now. But it ended up being really 95% of these dogs just needed really solid food skills. And right. so we'd work on find it. And then it would be, it was so hard for me initially to figure out how do I tell clients where to throw the food? Because for me, it just makes sense, right? Yeah. Like it's just, oh, well, my dog is struggling a little bit. I'm going to throw away from the thing. Oh, well, my dog is doing really well. I'm going to throw towards the thing so that they can go over there and check it exactly. out. And so I was like, okay, well, what if I just had this step-by-step -step framework? And so I started introducing it to clients as you always start with a way, then you go parallel, then you go towards every time. And if your dog struggles at one of those steps, you go back to the one lower so that they have this really structured program and they can take it on walks with them they can Love use it. it for reactive dog setups they can use it for people coming into their house they can use it i used it for pretzel when he was trying to eat my rabbit like it's you could use it See, for it's absolutely anything yeah like literally absolutely anything and i think that's really cool and i love how user-friendly it is yeah yeah, I used it for, I think where I developed it first, the idea of it was Pretzel was jumping out of the ring in agility. Because oh, um, we have like two feet life. tall rings. Yeah. We have like two foot tall rings at the club. And Pretzel is, he jumps is large. 24 inches. Exactly. In, like that's his height class. And so he was like, this is just another jump. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go get my toy off of the table or I'm going to go say hi to somebody or I'm going to luckily he is super friendly so like it wasn't a big deal for him to be jumping out of the ring, yeah, no flash. But still like, <laughs> can you come back please yeah, yeah exactly it was so embarrassing so embarrassing yeah. when we were competing in agility and that would be flash's go-to he'd be like I'm going to leave the ring because this is stressful yeah yeah, anytime. Or Pretzel will just get distracted. Like, he'll be running yeah. by and he'll be like, that looks fun. <laughs> and he'd just hop out. And it was like, and a lot of the feedback that I was getting was, well, just keep him focused on you. Be more fun than anything else. I was like, but that's yeah, okay. not the problem. The problem is he's super hyper-focused on me until he's so close to the thing that he wants that I lose him immediately. And I don't have really any indication that's going to happen. So I more need him to be able to, like, check things out and come back love that for us love that for us um mm -hmm. what do you call it that just tells me that he was paying attention to the thing that he wanted to see the whole time and he was just really yeah. good at paying attention to it out of the corner of his his consciousness yeah, yeah. well he's a herding dog you know he's very aware of everything that's going on yeah at any given moment in time he can intake so much information at once. And I was used to my terriers who like, you know immediately if they're not paying attention to you, right? Like, right? And they've got no qualms about it. They don't care. They're, they're gonna be- Exactly. You know. They're just I gonna terrier themselves the out. Yeah, they're gone. So with him, it was like, God, it's just, with them, it was more, I'm starting from not paying attention to me exactly. and then working you back. And then with him, it was like, you're looking right at me. Why is it that you're Because right I am using like, the eyes in the back of my head to yeah. pay attention to what it is that I actually want. And that's not you, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> and so I needed a way to measure. And especially as he started going through adolescence and he started getting barky growly.
And it was like, okay, I really can't have you hopping out of the ring now because you're barky growly. And so I can't, I can't have you running up on somebody and barking and growling at them. Whereas before you're being wiggly, silly puppy, (laughs) which was, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ugly dogs. Um, and so I wanted a way to know that he was going to be able to come away from those things. And so working on, can you go eat food and come away from those things gives me the peace of mind too. So like when I'm in the club and I'm practicing with him before I take his leash all the way off, I get him doing that. Right. And then I take your leash off and I already know it's not that, Oh, we've, I got you to ignore that thing, right? No, I got you to go see that thing and come back. I got you to go and see that thing, look at it, and come back to me. Mm-hmm. That's the difference right there. You are actively not asking your dog to ignore something that is either bothering them or exciting them. You are absolutely yep. intentionally telling them, go check that thing out. And when you don't care about it anymore, then we can do the thing. Exactly. Exactly. And if you... And then I can also work in, I've been experimenting. This is kind of newer. So I've just been experimenting with what else I can do with it. Um, but I have started using a uh, go to station. So instead of just coming back to me being the center of the clock and like your default yeah. reset, it's come back and lay on your station. Um, and then I've also started experimenting with this being a part of a shaping program, right? So if I'm like shaping yeah. you to do something new, throwing my food in all different directions. And then do you come back and start? I love it. Reinitiate the shaping on your own. Um, And that's how Pretzel was really scared of the teeter totter, Um, which is fair. He's gangly. Yeah. He's a gangly dog. I haven't introduced Wibble to the teeter yet. Like not even a little bit. Yeah. Poor Pretzel can like barely keep his legs underneath him as it is. And then he's on this thing that's moving. You want to do it while it's moving? Yeah, and he's just like my 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 spider legs, my giraffe legs. <laughs> it's really difficult I can't for me wait to meet him one day. <laughs> he's a goofy boy, um, and so I did it this way. And within one session, literally, I'd been working on the teeter of in classes and stuff, and having it, you know, set to the lowest setting and slowly luring him over it, letting him off, of course, always resetting. But when I started adding in way more dynamic movement, one session, and he was on the full-size teeter. Love it. Totally fine. Happy as can be. And then we started having him, like, he's, like, now a teeter suck in the way some dogs are a tunnel suck, where he's just, like... Oh, there's a teeter on the Give court. Give me the thing that moves under me. <laughs> I'm going to go over here. It makes a big wow. noise. What a dork. We love yeah. We love a dorky pretzel. Yeah, he is very dorky. At agility class the other day, he did. I told him to go get his toy, and he walked up to one of the other people in the class, stuck his head in her purse, grabbed her dog's toy, <laughs> yanked it out, and brought it back to me like, this one's better. Her purse that she was wearing, to be clear. Not it was not just sitting somewhere. He like stuck that is his hilarious. head under her armpit. Which is another he went straight to it. So just another like he knows he where everything there. in the room is. Yeah. yeah. He, he just he was waiting for you to cue him, him to go take whatever <laughs> toy he wanted, he clearly. Wants. Whoever's toy. Yeah. That is that is hysterical. Wow. What a funny dog he is. 
Mm-hmm. I really the, these little anecdotes of his of of yours about him are just they're killing me. I'm I'm loving it. I wish everybody could he see has my a, face right now. <laughs> he has a big personality. He really does, which suits you. Yeah. Which nice. I think I have been told by people who have met all of my dogs that they're all have like really distinct, really big personalities. And I think that has really? a lot to do with the way that I live with them. Cause I very much am like, wow. that's what I encourage. Like my dogs are straight up clowns. And it's, I think a lot of it is because those little like, personality things are naughty. And I think it's funny. It's like Cody Same. on the table. Everyone loves Cody on the table because it's happening uh, at my yeah. house. <laughs> and and that's the thing about Wibble is like I never once encouraged him to not get on the back of the sofa or on a table. If you can get up on the table, cute. I'm going to take a picture of you because yeah. you're adorable. And I trust that you know how to move your body at this point in your life. You're 15 months old. If you don't know how to move your body at this point with all the education I've given you on how to move your body, then it's your own damn fault. So yeah. Don't worry, folks. I don't intentionally put my dog in danger or leave him in situations where he might hurt himself. Don't worry. So when he's 14 like Cody and has not realized that he uh, can't move the same way, it's going to be what I do all day, which is run around the house like, Cody, please. Cody, no, you can't jump out of that. Don't do that. No. That was me with Sansa in the last few months of her life. I'm like, you can't do that anymore. Please don't. Please stop. He, Cody will straight up go to jump on something, not make it all the way, fall <laughs> down, get up, and I'll be like, do you want me to pick you up? And he'll be like, no. Like, <laughs> I'm going to do it myself, damn it. Back up again, like back up as far as he needs to and take his running leap. Like he just that is. is so I took him to a canine physical therapist and he's, he's got a lot of like, basically I just have to block off spaces in the house. So like, he's not allowed upstairs anymore because he's, he truly does not accept the fact that he cannot walk down them. (laughs) He he doesn't care. He will leap out of your arms the moment you pick him up and he's going to just crash and fall and hurt himself. And probably he will wait until you are just two steps down the flight of steps so that he can tumble Mm -hmm. his way down. Let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I got him a little like hiking harness so that I can spot him, but he can think that he's doing things. So he's got like a, a little handle. So when he gets in and out of the car, He'll be like, no, I can do it by myself. He won't let me pick him up. So I just grab his little handle and I wait for him to do his tiny little jump that's not getting him anywhere. And then I lift him up as if he was the one that did it. I would be lying if I said I never did that with Wibble. Yeah. (laughs) Because he thinks he's a big tough guy and he can jump all the way into the car. And I'm like, okay, if you say so. Yeah. You do your little hop, and I'm going to have you fly three to four feet up in the air <laughs> yeah, into your crate. And, just... and then there's Gia. There's two types of dogs. There's Wibbles and Cody's, and then there's little Gia, who's like, I cannot walk. And princess. Carry me. If the and grass princess. is too tall, she's like, I can't. Ew, ew. Pick me up. This is gross. Yeah, and then we have Wibble, who's, like, the taller the grass, the happier he is. I swear he is oh, in yeah. competition with himself to pick up all the ticks. Yeah, I um, sectioned off a part in my backyard that I let weeds grow really tall in so that the dogs can play in them. Love it. Um, 
which they and now and now Gia only pees on the porch, but yeah, it's okay. It Every, she's, she's a princess. If three out of four are, are enjoying it, it stays. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. I'm enjoying not landscaping that part of the yard, so it's a win-win. So, would you consider? Have you ever used your little weed, um, your weed pocket, as strategic reinforcement for anything? I use it for M- Millie, my bully mix, for her stay. Now that it, now that she's more excited to go outside to like go get into that and because it helps bring her arousal down because she goes out there and eats the tall grass um, instead of going out there and and part of it too is that um, I live in a really active neighborhood there's people around there's dogs around and so my dogs are weird about it so having that they can see but they can choose not to see if they want to go into their tall weeds Um, and so there it's a lot lower arousal and I had one of my biggest issues with having a multi-dog household with large dogs and small dogs is Millie straight up crushing the small ones because she's a bowling ball. I'm sure Flash is too. It's bull in a china shop. Bowling. He actually has a tag yeah. that says bull in a, in a china shop yeah. and Millie needs one herself. Just saying. Yeah. And it used to not be as much as a problem of a problem, but as Cody has gotten, you know, he's legitimately geriatric like he's a very old dog um and so if they're all going outside millie would be dancing around and he doesn't know to get out of the way and so she's stepping on his head she was knocking him over um and so having yeah and so having that makes the act of going outside less arousing because it used to be i run outside i run to the fence i see what's going on and who i need to bark at like i'm going outside to be on patrol but now we're going outside to do something calming which is go pretend we're a cow and (laughs) eat the tall grass outside and so she's a lot calmer going out yeah and then i use and then it's, I like my reinforcement to work double time. So yes, it is helping calm her down just by nature of what it is now, now that going outside is a calming activity rather than an arousing one. But then I can also use that release to outside to reinforce a downstay away from the door so that the little dogs can get outside first and then I can release her outside. Love and whereas it. before it was, that didn't even work before because my my reinforcement of going out the door before I had my like patch of tall grass Mm -hmm. was too arousing. So her release was to like scramble across the floor like a cartoon character. And then (laughs) the poor little dogs that are standing on the porch and just got outside are now getting bowled over just in a different spot (laughs) instead of in the doorway. (laughs) And they're getting run over on the porch. But now when she goes outside, it's, it's a calmer, she's still, she's always going to be a dog that moves either at zero miles per hour or 60 miles per hour. But it is, she's much more aware of what she's doing because she's not going straight into that like super high arousal brain she's mode. And she's absolutely able, and she's actually able to go around them. Whereas before she wasn't because she was going out there just like, ready to fight quite literally gladiator literally out of her mind with excitement and that's the thing is that we often forget that 
uh, like positive reinforcement trainers, owners who might not be working with a trainer or might be new to working with a trainer. Um, we often forget to factor in arousal and that's such a buzzword these days and like what even is arousal arousal the way i like to describe it is the level of excitement so if you're asleep you're at zero arousal and if you're like on a roller coaster you're like at a hundred um but like we often forget that even just food on its own and just doling out food rewards without a strategy in mind can raise arousal and it's not really always the most effective reward and so when we say our dogs go crazy over food food makes them worse all of this stuff it's because we're not being strategic with the way that we are using it flash has often um on many occasions in his younger years left the ring in the hopes like to go attack crates part of it was excitement and arousal and just he figured out he could do it and so he then did it but then also part of it was because he knew I always ended his his adventures as I call them with a scatter and that wasn't Mm -hmm. really the most strategic way because I was overusing my scatters as a way to calm him down but he came to expect them every five seconds that when he would escalate just the tiniest bit into body slamming me, he would not get a scatter. He'd be like, well, what the hell? And so then he escalated to once he realized he could leave the ring, it, he would be leaving. He went through a six month period where he just left the ring. The second yep. the leash came off and it ended in a scatter until I got a little bit smarter with how I managed him in the ring and got smarter with my, um, reinforcement strategies as well Mm -hmm. yeah and i think and i think flash and millie are a lot of like because millie has the same thing where i have to use there's a very very rare occasions where i'm ever going to use high value food with her because it just she loses her absolute mind and i also found that the because she's not a dog where I'm super worried about her weight, I was always like, well, you use the smallest amount of food and the smallest pieces of food possible. But I've also found that with her using bigger food, bigger treats works a lot better. If I get her chewing something that works a lot better. Yeah. Like I, and I, I would rather train her with like big cardboard milk bones than little pieces of hot dog because she's easier to deal like not deal with that sounds bad but she she is just but it's easier kind to of train true. that way yeah she flash is easier to deal i with. love her very much she's difficult she's a very difficult dog yes um but and that's she, a whole nother topic for a whole nother day is like how yeah. how much like i feel like I want to do that as a panel discussion one day where we discuss our difficult dogs and how important it is to be honest about our difficult dogs, especially to our clients. Would love that. Would love, that love so to be on that panel. Um, Cause yeah, some, some dogs are difficult. Yeah. Some dogs are difficult and, and it's okay we for us to, to admit that flash is yeah. not an easy dog, but that makes me love him even more, honestly. So yeah. Yeah. The amount of work I have to put into him, I'd better love him. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also think like that, and it is a buzzword, but I also think it's a, it's a buzzword because it's such a broad term, but with the arousal, like those really high arousal dogs, the dogs that find 
food and toys and everything in life like so so highly arousing is exciting yeah and then there's such i think a strong link between high arousal and aggression um to where the the higher arousal the dog is the more likely they are to show those aggressive behaviors and i know i had with millie when I would have her in like group class settings, Millie is dog aggressive for anybody who doesn't know me and my dog (laughs) who is listening. Um, My dog Millie is dog aggressive and we'd be in group classes and I would follow the instructions of bring really stinky high value soft treats. And so I would have Mm. super high value treats and she'd be like, give me, give me, give me, throwing all of her behaviors out there everything that she knows never bringing herself down to a manageable level where she can regulate her own emotions yeah and so then she was so on edge that she was way more likely to exactly aggress towards other dogs way more likely than if i am to and then if i just bring kibble or i bring like something for her to chew on something that takes a lot longer for her to eat yes it is harder for me to keep her attention i probably have to start my work farther away right like if i bring cheese into a group class i could immediately walk millie up to one of the dogs and sit her and sit stay her two feet away from it but what i'm risking is that she suddenly turns around and goes oh my god you're here let's fight Whereas if I come in with really low value food, something bigger for her to chew on, I, or I'm using like handfuls of kibble. A lot of times when I reward Millie and I'm using kibble instead of one, I just like cut my hand and feed her like she's a little horse and give her like yeah. a little handful we of it that. so she can chew on something for a while. Um, it's going to take me longer to work her up to where she can be that close to another dog to where we can actually sit in the class and not be standing awkwardly in the doorway training until we can get all the way in but she's going to be way more reliable once she gets there and i can trust her once she gets there honest response out of her that way as well it's why i harp on the thing that i say to people all the time my clients other trainers and it's something i talk about in my um uh, workshop crazy calm start lines is one of the rules that I have for managing arousal is to use the least valuable food reinforcer that a dog will eat in any given situation so like for example at home wibble will eat kibble wibble will eat kibble <laughs> um, but it is out in the world it is not something he will eat so it's no longer the lowest um value reinforcer he will eat in a given situation so then i'll go up to like a vital essentials so it's still a dry tree but it's a little bit higher value for him but it's the lowest value thing he'll eat in that moment and my goal is always to get down to kibble that yeah, is my goal that's is exactly. to always get down to kibble i'm okay using high value food reinforcers when i have to um Sometimes, yes, it can get coercive in nature, but it's also something that I'm aware of, and so I can factor that in into my plans long term. But my goal is always to get all the way down to kibble. Yep, exactly. When I work with people through uh, getting their dog to eat food more reliably, mm-hmm. that's exactly what the plan is. Okay, what is the lowest value food your dog will take in the house? We're going to go out 
into a new environment, find the lowest value they'll take out in that new environment, which oftentimes with these dogs, because they're coming to me specifically for food problems, yeah. is we're going to go to McDonald's and we're going to get a 20-piece chicken nugget. Exactly. Um, which now costs $8 for some reason, and I'm mad about it. But <laughs> it's ridiculous. I but can get more meatballs from the freezer section for $8. Just say it. Yeah. 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 I and those are higher. Be, uh, <laughs> yeah. I need to think ahead a little bit. I'm always just like, I'm on my way. I got to go find something to get. It's part of being a chaos goblin. It's all good. Yeah. It's the tax. It's the chaos goblin tax. It is. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I'm going to start with that. And once your dog is eating that consistently, we're going to start working our way down the ladder and we're not going to start really working on teaching new behaviors until your dog will eat the low value food. And then we might, depending on the behavior and how difficult the behavior is and what we want from that behavior, we might bump the value back up. Right. So like with pretzel on the teeter totter, I first said, okay, will you come and smack the teeter totter and do this shaping game with kibble? Right. Because I don't want to be coercive and I don't want to immediately come in with With really high value food that, that I know you're going to work really hard for. Will you do this? Yes, I'll do it and I'll do it happily. Okay, cool. Now I'm going to bring out something novel and really exciting. I used a donut. <laughs> um, and I am going to give you this surprise reward for going over the teeter totter because I want this to be a really valuable behavior for you. And I want it to be fast. And then, and then I switch to kibble to get that stay at the end of the contact because he is such a, a very fast dog. I need yeah. stopped contacts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's speedy, speedy, speedy. He's going to take you out otherwise. Yeah, he is super fast. The other day he ran probably 10 obstacles on a course in our handling class that just random obstacles. He was not running in any certain <laughs> like direction that I had told him to. But I like came, He, I was trying to do a blind cross. He came out of the tunnel and I cued the where I wanted him to go. And he skipped that because he was already like on his own. He had chosen his own line. And before we had even realized what it was that he was doing or where he was going, he had run half the course. He had run like 10 obstacles and then ran back up to me like, where next? (laughs) That is a lot of dog right there. (laughs) He is, yeah. He is very fast. I'm always drenched in sweat in agility class. That's how you know you're doing it right. You're getting a workout yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is that is hilarious. The only way I can get that much arousal out of Wibble in agility. Um, it's not his super favoritist thing in the world. He does it happily, but it's not his favorite. Um, is if I bring out the flare pole and then I have like mm. speedy Gonzalez on me in my hands. Yeah. Um, I have such a speedy little boy on my hands at that point. So, um, yeah. Flash, on the other hand, all he has to do is see the obstacles, and he's just like um, pretzel. Yeah, going for it. Yep. Too bad he can't always yeah, stay which is focused funny. on the obstacles. Which, what's funny is that, like, that Flash is like that because Millie is not. Millie really? is actually a very slow dog 
to work with when she's like she's very thoughtful when she's actually thinking yeah and when but she spirals out easily where you get like her just throwing a bunch of things so if she actually knows yeah. what she's doing she's very methodical and very thoughtful and very slow um but That's if awesome. she yeah but if she's like she'll spiral really easily and start mm-hmm. just doing stuff Sounds um familiar like I have a great video of her and Rowley just walking along and smacking all of the signs on. <laughs> 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 just walking up to the signs and just going, but don't like it. Um, Flash will eat the signs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is really funny because I want to try him in Rally one of these days. So um, now that he's older and more mature and yada yada yada, um, I want to try him in, in rally because he, he's showing great aptitude for, for the sport. So let's see if he'll eat the signs in his, in his arousal and his like, I know you don't have food to soothe me moments. So I'm just yeah. gonna, I'm just going to eat the signs instead because that's the kind of goofy he is. A, he, yeah. um, on my website, my about me, um, section, if you scroll down to like all the seminars I intended and everything, if you see the agility seminars, um, there is a picture of flash running around a NADAC course with a cone in his mouth. Yeah, that is his go-to when he doesn't when he wants to make the thing stop and he doesn't know how to. Is he picks something up that's illegal, um, and he runs around with it until I get my leash out, and then he goes, "Oh, thank God, uh, we're gonna leave now." <laughs> See, Millie was just knocking down the signs to knock down the signs because then she'd do what I said. She'd like we'd walk up and it'd be a halt, sit, and I would be like, "Stop, sit," and she'd go, "Boink, sit." <laughs> And then that we'd is walk so up, funny. And it would be like a halt down, and I would tell her to lay down, and she'd go boink and lay down. That <laughs> she is just, she had chained somehow chained the knock the sign across the room, and it was a full on like like just That's throwing so it across funny. the room. And I don't know where she picked it up, but she truly was convinced that was part of the game. Like that. That is so funny. This is part of it. This is what I do. She is strategically reinforcing herself prior to doing the behaviors. She was like, this game is super boring. Let me just... Let's liven it up a little bit. (laughs) Let's add a soccer element. Well, that was... That's back to the topic at hand. That's that's really cool how you use your... um, reinforcement strategies that way and I really like that framework that you're using and I'm going to like like I said I mean I think you and I train very similarly and it sounds so very similar to the give me a break um pattern game which is the OG pattern game that that she created Mm -hmm. that she came up with um that I kind of want to try it out with flash a little bit um specifically I want to try it out with horses because I bet you this framework would be something that would help him manage his feelings around horses very easily and very quickly better than the traditional like horse tv or um uh traditional um counter conditioning or desensitization um uh protocols would do yeah i find that it it does tend to work better i think because it gets them moving especially for your young kind of like wild dogs um but i also find it works really well for shy dogs because shy dogs do tend to get so sticky and mm-hmm. having a a framework that they're really familiar with that also gets them moving and i've used this a lot for dogs that even just are generally timid 
where my goal is just to get you moving in every direction and moving until I see like happy running behavior. Right. So they start off with like tiptoeing over to the treat and picking it up, but it becomes a thing of like, you're bouncing all over the place and I can get really happy running behavior with that. Um, And so I use that for a lot of my off leash dogs are really shy, timid dogs that we're looking to just boost confidence. And it's so funny because I'll play this game with them off leash and they're like glued to me. And they're barely, I have to be really careful about how far I throw the treat because they're not willing to go that far from me. And then at some point, now I am chucking the treat super far. And there always comes a time when they, they eat the treat, they come feeding back to me. And instead of throwing a new one, I just go, okay, go. And they're like, wait, what? This is hot. Just go. And they'll turn around and just speed down the path and just go. And then they start doing these like bouncy zoomies. Uh, They pop down the path and then they turn around and they come back and see me and they're like, can I still go? And I'm like, yeah, you can. How (laughs) cool is that? Like that is amazing to see. Yeah, it's really cool. The first time that these dogs finally are just like, oh my God, I'm so free. (laughs) I'm so happy. And I can, I can just go? Yeah, I can just, do a little zoom and they have that framework of I am the center of their exploration. I'm the center of the clock. So I'm still getting them back. And it's built in that check-in is built in of not, you need to stay with me until I release you. It's you are released and you come back to me. Right. So I'm like, I'm not engineering it. Yeah. I'm not engineering it from walk with me unless told otherwise. It is, you guys have all this space. I'm the center of your bungee. Come check in every once in a while. Love it. And that makes for a much nicer walk for everybody. I agree. And I feel like it um, lays the foundation work for a really, really great recall and radius training around you and keeping them around you as well in a very... um, minimally invasive way um i have an episode that at the time of this recording has not aired yet but by the time this airs it will have aired um and it's on recalls about how recalls are not actually about recalls they're about like a million other skills put together and i talk about how i like to classically condition my recall um which is just pairing my recall word with food as a stimulus and Mm -hmm. then a lot of freedom so that they're satiated and they feel the 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 desire to come back to me in the first place and that will make my recall a lot more um salient to them but then also um the way i teach my radius training in my online class is not like this but i think i might add this framework if you don't mind i would love to add this framework back into teaching my radius uh training because i think that would be cool yeah definitely feel free it just it just helps build these lovely off-leash skills for these dogs without having to harp on or proof or wait for them to make a mistake for you to correct them or using food coercively to get them to do a behavior in the first place that they really aren't ready to do. You're using food in a non-coercive way, which I really like. Yeah. And you're 
especially if you're using it, if you're using the same framework for a bunch of different things and you're already using it to do like trigger work or prey work on a long line and you're intentionally using it with that backup of the long line to do work with the things your dog might run off after. So like I said, I used it with pretzel with the rabbit in the house, but I also used it with the farm animals and the livestock outside. And then of course, when we're just doing it, sometimes I throw that treat and there's a rabbit right there. And he eats the treat and then looks up and there's a rabbit right there. He already understands the framework so well of oh, I see this thing, I see this distraction, I turn around and come back, that even even if that prey takes off and he chases it a little bit, he then turns around and comes back automatically because he's so used to that pattern. So even if at first it's like, oh, my predatory, you know, I don't expect my dog not to take off after a rabbit that has suddenly taken off like underneath him. I do expect him not to run five miles away from me and I never see him again. Exactly. I, and that's, I, I that's the difference. Him too. Yeah. So he, he'll run a few steps until the rabbit gets far enough ahead of him that he knows he's not going to catch it. And then he turns around and comes back to me because that is the game. Exactly. And he's practiced that game with really high value stuff that he wants. He's practiced it with his agility coach that he really yeah. wants to jump out and say hi to on the other side of the ring, the other dogs, his dog friends, the the rabbit in the house, the rats in the house, because pretzels are really good barn hunt. And he has to live with seven rats. And they're all in the same room that he eats his food yeah. and goes in and out of every time he needs to go outside. And he needs he to, to okay not that. harass them in their cage. Um, and so he's already practiced this with all of these really high value things. And the difference between this and proofing like, okay, well, I'm going to use some type of aversive to recall you off or teach you to ignore is you are allowed to interact with these things and then come back. Exactly. Interact with and them appropriately that, and then come back. Exactly. And the time that they are interacting with these things appropriately mm-hmm. shortens each and every yep. time until the point where they don't feel the need to interact with it at all. Thank you, Flash, for knocking over my microphone. Um, but even even if they don't feel like um, interacting with it at all at that point, it's still something where um, it's salient in their mind in a different scenario. So like you said, with, with Pretzel, and if the rabbit were to suddenly move from under it, of course he's going to chase it a couple of steps. That's a whole different environment than him um, feeling better about the rabbit that lives in your home, for example. Yeah. But he still got that framework. He still has that understanding. He still has that memory of, I come back to mom and good things still happen and my freedom's not yep. going to be ended and nothing like that's going to happen. And even if I get to interact with a thing, if it's a scary thing, it doesn't interact with me. Yep. Yeah. Which is a huge piece of this framework, I think, that that is um, that we need to um, um, remember is that the scary thing, if we are working with triggers, is not going to interact with me. So don't use yeah. it in a situation where you can't really reasonably control the outcome. Yeah, definitely not, not in like, and of course not in like off leash situations with strange dogs. Cause we don't, exactly. you know, we don't want to throw food into off leash situations with strange dogs regardless. Exactly. Um, but yeah, working and it works. I do think it works well if you're working with a fearful dog 
who the end goal is for them to be able to say hi to somebody if yeah. you have control over that person. But teaching them, you can go up and intake the information and then come away and then eventually getting to the point where they just go sniff and then come away. And in that case, it. you do have to make sure you're using really low value food and you're also being really aware of does my dog, if I throw the food away from that person, the scary person that I want them to meet, the potential friend, if I throw the food away, does my dog run, go pick it up immediately and come back to me? If I throw the food towards them, does the dog hesitate for just a second before they yeah. go and get it? And if they do, I immediately bring out more food and throw it away. So they don't have to go and get that one. They get So if I see any hesitation to go and get it in the direction of the trigger, I'm going to, okay, no, you don't have to do that. Come back here and I'm going to throw it away. And you get and a lot of relief there. And a bigger reinforcement on top of that yep. too. So you get more food, yep. especially if you're throwing like a handful, because that's what I just imagined you doing, is throwing a yep. handful away. So not only do they have the relief of that pressure, um, but they, they don't have to feel that... Um, conflict between but i still want that cookie because you're getting more cookies away from the yeah and it also works if you are the pressure right so if i have a dog yes. that is weird about me um whether it be that they truly are like stranger danger or it's just a dog that's weird about social pressure and taking food out of my hand mm -hmm. i can do a really similar thing of come into that pressure and then throwing my food out to relieve the pressure of like uh, come in as close as, as close as you. And that's where you get more sticky nuance of you need to be really good at reading the dog um, yes. and knowing when to throw. Uh, but if you have that and you're really good at reading the dog, you can use the exact same framework to slowly move the dog closer to you with that same pattern. Um, I and I found that super effective too. I believe it's a lot more effective than having someone stand stock still in a very creepy way like a lot of people have them do. And it's also yeah. a lot less pressure than doing this behind a barrier. Well, you can mm -hmm. still do it behind a barrier. Like, for example, you can expen yourself in and literally yep. be the center of a clock. Um, so although you can do all these things and, and please use barriers of safety where needed, but like, I feel like yeah. this is still a lot less pressure than like me standing on one side of the gate, throwing cookies to the opposite side of the room for that dog that's scared of me. Like yep. Yep. that kind I of want stuff feels more, to me. Yeah, I want more movement. Like I always, and I also, I like this framework because I'm always trying to take a lot of the setup out of training setups from 100%. the dog, from what the dog is seeing. And from a, I am a human with ADHD perspective, the more things I got to do, the less I want to do it. Exactly. So having this really loose framework that you can stick in anywhere and that doesn't look like training if you're sticking it into the right context, right? Like, yeah, it looks Which like training if I'm doing it in the agility it. ring, exactly. but I can do it right here sitting on the couch and do the exact same thing and have it look, which is, you know, what I did with the rabbit. Okay, I don't want Pretzel to go and get the rabbit. Well, it's not going to be, I have the rabbit in a carrier and- No. No, the rabbit moves around. He's the, rabbit is he's the, the rabbit craziest is. animal in this house. He's all Probably. over the place. 
And so I've got him, you know, in his usual room and pretzel in his usual room and me in my usual spot. And we're going to play the game that way so that it looks very lifelike. I'm doing a very similar thing. And I didn't even realize that I was working through this, uh, through your framework by doing this um, with Wibble and chasing um, my cats at home. He's going through this terrible chasing my cats phase and the only reason is because one of my cats, who is my personal cat versus, like, my mother's cats who live with me, um, is they all run and my cat doesn't. And so because <laughs> my cat doesn't run, he's like, come on, let's do stuff. And he pokes at him. And he actually did grab him by the scruff and drag him a couple of inches. And I was like, oh, oh hell no. So that when is. that happened, I was like, you little shit. And so when that happened, um, we immediately went into, we are no longer chasing the cat's bullshit uh, boot mm-hmm. camp. And um, I've been using a very similar framework. and Because it's something I can do sitting on the couch watching TV, playing, scrolling through TikTok, doing whatever. All I have to do yep. is hear the cat, which I can hear the cats. Um, and, and pay attention. Like I'm always, I have one eye on the dogs at all times, no matter what, because also I have a 62 pound and a 13 pound dog. You got to keep your eyes on the dogs. Um, so I have, so as soon as I see Wibble perk up, it's an immediate tossing a cookie away from wherever he perked up. And it gives a chance, it gives the cats a chance to get away if they're going to be runners or it gets me, gives me a chance to get his attention and throw him away again, not throw the dog away, but like use the cookie to throw him away. For those of you who did not pick up on that, um, (laughs) and let my cat, if it is my cat, um, get to a higher point where he is safer. And that way I don't really have to interrupt the cat's movements. And I'm not really doing much. I'm still giving Wibble what he wants to move his body and chase something. But it's a much safer option for both him and the cats. Because my poor cat did not deserve to be dragged across the floor. Yeah, poor thing. Mother effer. Yeah. Poor cat. He was fine. And he is fine. And Wibble has a soft enough mouth. But, like, it's still rude. It's still unacceptable, in my opinion. You do not do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you can also work your way up with this framework to now the treat is going towards wherever the cat is up high. It's safety where Wibble can't get him. And so now Wibble can go up, see the cat and move away and see the cat and then move away, which I think is the, the The real, yeah. The, the big thing about the framework is that the end goal is always we go towards the thing. And that's Um, a huge thing. Yeah. And I've also used that on walks with dogs who are, they tend to pull towards stuff that they want to go sniff, like really, really hard pulling towards stuff they want to go sniff. Um, It's very different from like reacting. Like, like, I know that what you're talking about, like it's a very deep, they're using their body to get there. (laughs) And I'm, I am a, I'm not a small person and I am a fairly strong person. I'm like yeah, five foot eight and I'm fairly strong. And I'm still like, oh my God. Um, I have a mini Aussie client who like, he, he is so strong and he's like 30 pounds. But when he really wants to go sniff something, it's oh like boy. he can put all of those 30 pounds just into the end of the leash. Well, when Wibble wants to get to something, oh boy, oh boy, he's not normally a leash puller, but at 13 pounds, that, that dog yeah. is almost taking me out. Yeah. So with this framework, it's okay. So we're seeing the dog 
about to start to pull towards something or they already have, I want to get them behind me and then I want to get them parallel to me. And then when we are close enough that I can get them to the thing without them hitting the end of the leash, then I throw my food forward towards the thing they want to go sniff. So if they're pulling me towards a tree, I'm going to get them behind me. And then can you go and eat the food parallel to me and come back to me? And then we're walking while we're doing this. And all, I'm getting a dog that's walking beside me because they're eating the food. Or I guess it wouldn't be parallel. And I assume, and I, well, I it was going to say parallel. Side. I assume the dog is on the opposite side of you from the tree at that point. Yeah. Because you're yeah. not throwing yeah. towards the tree. So in that way, that way, yeah. inherently you would be in between um, the dog and the tree. Yeah. So the dog is walking to whatever side I want the dog on. Right. Yeah. Which is what I want from a loose leash walk. And then when we get close enough to the tree that they can go sniff the tree. Now I'm throwing my treat forward so they can go eat the treat. They never pull Perfect. to get there. And then they sniff the tree. Perfect. No and muss, so no we get fuss, to a point. no conflict. Yeah. And it's Nothing. something that like it's amazing. works right now, right? It's not, yeah. I need to teach my dog to, I need to teach my dog to walk politely and then proof it. And then our walks will be good. No, it the works for your walk need. right now. Exactly. Yeah. And the only skill they truly need is learn how to chase food and then eat that food. That is the only skill they need. Yeah, and that's, that's something it. that they can learn in a day. Like you yep. can teach them that kind of reinforcement strategy in a single day of how to collect yep. your food. I teach my client dogs, um, the very first lesson they ever learn is three location specific markers, a scatter cue, come eat hand from my, uh, come eat food from my hand cue and a um, uh, chase the food I'm throwing cue. And so, and they learn that in a single day, in a single session, and we never revisit it again unless we have to. They learn it in yep. a day. And so this is definitely something useful that people who are listening to this podcast today can go and learn and implement tomorrow. And for those of you um, who don't know how to teach your dogs to do this, it's quite literally, you say a word that means you're going to throw food on the ground and then you throw the food on the ground. It's, it's quite yeah. literally that. Now, I don't flick my wrist. I don't toss it far. I want my dog to be able to see where I'm throwing it. So you want to make sure that you're not throwing it too far to begin with. Over time, with experience, they'll learn how to do that and, and track food far. But for now, that's how you do that. Congratulations. You now just taught your dog a skill. Enjoy loosely talking. Yeah. <laughs> I do take it one step further where okay, I, sure. want teach, uh, I want to teach a really fast head whip after they eat the food. Yes. Um, so to come back really quick. So all that I do with that, and again, super, super simple, all that I do is the second that they eat the food... I do my yes marker, which for my dogs yep. is come eat food out of my hand. Yep. So they eat the food. I mark and reward that with strategic reinforcement, a reinforcement marker that then sets them off to turn around really quick and come back to me. Um, that is a whiplash turn from Control Unleashed. And oh, we yeah? taught it exactly how Leslie teaches it. Except oh, wow. she uses their name. Maybe we're just on the yes. I think me and Leslie are just on the same wavelength. 
I think so. And I think it just shows, it goes to show how incredibly intelligent and intuitive you are as a trainer. Now I'm just buttering you up. Um, but it does show how intuitive you are as a trainer that you are inherently teaching these things that have existed for 20 plus years, um, under a different name in a, in a, in a, in a program. Like she came up with this stuff a long time ago. And the fact that you didn't read those books and that you didn't do those things and you're still coming up with this framework that's very similar to it, but still slightly different. It's still your own shows how it truly shows how intuitive you are. So anyone who's in the area, we will link all of like Ash's information. Um, go find Ash. Ash is a great trainer. Ash does what I do, but better. Well, I don't know about that, but thank you. I think so. I think everybody does it better though. So there's that. <laughs> that's, yeah. Um, We're so that's really the worst cool. trainers we are. <laughs> to ourselves. And, and so, so your dog, so I just care about that one skill. You care about the second skill. One is that your dog can eat food that you threw on the ground. And the second is that they would turn around really, really fast. And that whiplash, ow, I turned around so fast I got whiplash, kind of, yeah. that's where she named it, um, into that, into you so that they can come back into you in, within the work of this framework. Yep. Yep. I want them coming back to me as their baseline or as them at their best coming back to me super fast. That doesn't mean that when I get slower returns, that it's like a punishable offense for the dog. I'm sure anyone nope. listening to this can already get that there are really no punishable offenses for my dogs. Uh, Correct. But that's just information. But if I exactly. know that their baseline, their their framework, them at their best as they understand this game is to eat the thing and come racing back to me, then I know that when they pause, that mm -hmm. means something. Exactly. So it could mean they're uncomfortable. It could mean that uh, they are a little too excited, a little too enticed by whatever the distraction we're working with. It, it could mean that they just broke a tooth. Like it could, it could mean anything, but it means something. It means they're not at their baseline. It means they're yep. not at the, it's not where you expect them to be. Yes. Yeah. And where I want them before. So like I was talking about earlier, if I'm working at our training club, which at our training club, we have three rings side by side. Um, so a lot of times there will be strangers that just come in. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're working side by side with strangers in the other ring. And in that TikTok, I didn't describe it as my clockwork game, but that's what I was doing. Um, yeah. And so what I'm looking for before I take the leash off my dog is that he eats the food off of the ground, turns around, whips right back around to me when that food is thrown right up against the ring gate barrier. Because then I know you are at your baseline where you no longer care about those people on the other side. I can take your leash off and know that you are not going to veer off and go jump the ring and go and try and with pretzel it's a toss-up if he's gonna go try and play with and or fight with the other dog um, it is with flash too yeah i'd almost rather have a i almost prefer millie in that we know it's gonna be fight <laughs> at least i know what I, to expect the evil pretzel, you know versus the evil you don't know yeah pretzel could go either way who knows he's that. never been in a fight so I don't know, but sometimes he looks like he might want to. Though and I'm that's hoping enough. he grows out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so too. How old is he now? 
two. He just turned two. And he's he's getting significantly better. So I do think, yeah. There's a a saying. I do think he um, might grow out of it. There's a saying that my obedience coach um, has has imparted this piece of wisdom to me, and I forget who she credits credits it to. So when I ask her, inevitably, I will put it in the show notes. But um, there's a saying, and it's they can do at four what they couldn't before. And so just wait until he hits four. You're going to have a whole new dog. And I found that to be true both with Sansa and with Flash. And I'm very curious yeah. to see who Wibble will be at four. Maybe even a little younger because smaller dogs tend to mature faster. So we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I found that to be true. They can do at four what they couldn't before. It's like almost like a light switch went off. So just wait until he's four and you're going to see so much more um, shit that you can do with him that you couldn't before. And you can trust him more in different situations. And you're just going to, he's going to be a cool adult dog, I think. Yeah. That's that's my hope right now because our goal is competition. Right now he gets poor little guy is so he's like the happiest dog in the world until yeah. he gets into a crowded like competition space and it's heartbreaking. He is so oh, poor guy is so scared and he's baby. one of those dogs that stresses way way down. Yeah. So he's just like I'm sleepy. Mm. <laughs> that's how Wibble is. He's a stressor I'm downer. Sleepy. Yeah. Wibble almost fell asleep in the obedience ring at his national. Oh. We oh, qualified that Wibble. day, though. Yeah. Yeah. The next Pretzel day, not so just much. Like, yeah. Pretzel just, he'll get out of the car and be really sticky. And he, we right now are just competing in Barn Hunt because it's such an intrinsically reinforcing game. Yes. Um, and it's also totally. the only time we have to be around other dogs is in the blind and it's very structured. So if you, if you have a, li- a kind of a weird dog, anyone listening, if you have a dog that you want to compete with and they're kind of maybe a little difficult at trials, barn hunt is a good place to start or nose work. I hear too, but I haven't, um, I can I'm really bad nose at work training really nose work. Good. Yeah. Nose work is, is really good for reactive dogs. Um, in it, it's inherently a sport that is built for them just like, barn hunt can be as well yeah um so i would agree wholeheartedly if uh, a good intro sport especially if you have a shy or overwhelmed dog it would be one of those two i want to do nose work with pretzel yeah i want to do nose work with pretzel we're really stuck right now in uh he loves to destroy a container and he turns into an uncontrollable beast the second that, that he sees them like you just it's not even oh he gets frustrated no he sees them and that is the object of the game is to <laughs> destroy all of the containers oh buddy. really good at other searches anything anything that's not container related he does a really good job but yeah, containers but specifically he's just like has containers yeah and it's it is not oh, this one has it in it, and I am, or, oh, I'm confused. I don't know which one it is, so I'm going to start destroying containers. No, no it is I see boxes I crush. Bum. I am going to stomp down stop. this. <laughs> that is hilarious. He stomps every single container as I'm, like, running him down the thing. And he'll find it, too. He'll find it and alert, but he stomps on every container that is a negative. So I'll just be like, not this one, not this one, 
and then he'll oh. find it and then he'll lay down he'll do his cute little alert which is to lay down and he rests his chin on the box and he's like i found it it's this one and there's just boxes everywhere my nose <laughs> my nose work coach has um has a uh a clinic for that it's called box pushers I, anonymous yeah i should uh is it online <laughs> i can find out yeah, I don't see it, why I don't see how it can't be online if it's not. Uh, yeah. like, I'm sure it's doable. So, if it's online, I will take it because uh, yeah. it's it is the only thing stopping us. Because otherwise, he's great. He's golden. Uh, he's ready to go. He is You'll truly just get all the worst the box bolts. smasher I have ever seen in my entire life. Oh, I've seen some really bad ones, but I also judge that work, so I've seen yeah. some really bad ones. Pretzel might be at the at the worst. Uh, to Give be fair video. to him, I literally have my I have an enclosed porch, and I call it Pretzel's Rage Room, and it is where I throw all of my empty Amazon boxes. And then when he's being really annoying, Love I put it. him in there, and he just rages. He just goes in there, and it's like it's truly like a waist so high funny. pile of boxes now. And so he jumps in. <laughs> He jumps into the pile of boxes and just starts chomping. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh my god. Pretzel is hilarious. So he has been taught that boxes are for destroying. Smashing. Uh, so he's not yeah. wrong. He no, he's need, not we wrong. We just need to teach him a different context. We need yeah. to teach him a different framework. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's Though he is good, he's very clear uh, negative indicator, um, but it's not Clearly. not the one that I want. Yeah, fault. Not fault, this one. This fault, one sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. He's like, screw this, screw this, screw. Oh wait, here we are. <laughs> here we are. This one has the smelly stuff in it. We I love found the smelly it. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I think that was. Um, that was a really fascinating conversation. And um, I think it's really interesting um, the skillful way in which you use food reinforcement. Um, and I've been, I've been toying with the thought and the fact that dog training, even with positive reinforcement, even using food is inherently to a certain extent coercive. And mm -hmm. I'm part of the um, R plus 2.0 think tank think tank. Um, it's a, the R, R positive. So positive reinforcement, R positive uh, 2.0 collaborative is a collaborative of people who are interested in taking positive reinforcement to the next level. I are you are you in the think tank, Sarah? Um, I pay for it every month. I have logged um, on twice. Maybe join, join it. Jo uh, like actually, like go and take a look and join one of the workshops. I just joined a workshop this past week and it like blew my ever living Ooh. mind. It took cooperative See, care. I haven't been there since they. Yeah, the no, you week. really need to. And yeah. it took cooperative care, which already is kind of inherently coercive, mm -hmm. um, no matter how hard we try not to. And it really elevated it to the point where it was a true conversation with my dog of yes and no. And it was just so interesting and so cool. So, like, I feel like your framework takes food 
to that kind of next level where you are not inherently saying you have to do this to earn reinforcement. You get reinforcement anyway, regardless. But if you feel like it, you can go do this thing and then get reinforcement or get your reinforcement, do that, and then come back for more reinforcement. So like you're giving them options and choices and it's very, I think it reduces the coerciveness of, of the food that we're using in general. Um, and it's, it's been on my mind a lot how coercive we are with food and different ways in which we can be less coercive and still remain effective as dog trainers, especially when working with reactivity and aggression. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's always the goal. That's always the end goal. And, um, there are trainers who do it really well and there are trainers who don't do it really well. And, um, I think we can all learn a thing or two from those who are working hard to meet that goal of being less coercive overall. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen Sarah's stuff about it. It's amazing. Um, I just have not, I didn't even know they were doing workshops now because I was there right in the very inception of r plus 2.0 and then i forgot about it (laughs) Uh, adhd yeah um i get the email notifications and every so often and so finally this week they had one on a day that i was like free and i had time and i tried it with both wibble and flash just with being able to pet them and in a single session with wibble i was able to touch his paws which he doesn't like he pulls away and touch and manipulate his paws within one like I think I was there for an entire hour and I wasn't even w- working Wibble the whole time. I was switching back and forth. And within that one hour, I was touching and manipulating his foot. And I've never I, gotten that far that fast with um, cooperative care. Yeah, I definitely need to look into that because all of my dogs, that is my weakest spot, I would say. All of my dogs, as far as cooperative care goes, I can are help with that. <laughs> weird about it. Yeah. That's something I can help with. That's one thing that I'm like, I truly want to send them away and have them. I wish that training works the way that people think it works because I want to send them away and have them returned to me. I will pay you $1,000. Return him to me. Return Uh, him to me trained. Yeah. Return him to me just being okay with having his nails trimmed. I can do that for you. Um, It'll take a while and it'll be a lot more than a thousand bucks, but I can do that for you. (laughs) um yeah okay all right well thank you so much ash for coming on the podcast and talking about this if people want to find you where can they find you uh you can find me on tiktok or instagram it's ash dot and the positive pups um you can find me on facebook at positive pups academy you can find me on my website at positivepupsacademy.com. I have some pre-recorded webinars. I am just launching um, next week, actually, my new online awesome. uh, services. I am changing awesome. the way I'm doing that uh, to be um, a membership with workshops and stuff, but then you'll also be able to book virtual sessions. So that'll be cool, but there are also um just like pre-recorded webinars i have one on food i have one on food refusal that's on there uh or you know in if you are in omaha you can find me in the woods somewhere probably yeah if you you wander around enough you'll probably run into me in the woods 
that's, that's where, where most I people would am. run into me too. Yeah. Wandering around Massachusetts. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a great conversation and I really hope our listeners found something of value out of it. I know I have, um, and I would love to have you back again on that panel talking about how, um, yes. Yeah, that would be a really, that would be an excellent conversation. Um, All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to support the podcast in a more tangible way, you can head over to my Patreon linked in the show notes and show your support that way. Until next time.